This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to get out to the Smart Rain special guest line. It's no mystery. Utah is in an extreme drought. That is why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation smartly. Find out more at smartrain.net. He is the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, and his visit each week is brought to you by our friends at the Murdoch Auto Group. He's the one and only David Locke. What's going on, David? Hello, everybody. How are you? Everybody being Jake, Gordon, and your three listeners. <laughs> uh, I think all of us are fine. I don't want to okay, speak good. for our three and listeners. And Austin's Austin fine. Too, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm not listening. He, he's not listening, though. I knew that, so that's why I didn't include him. Uh, David, uh, you've had a few days now to kind of munch on how the season ended for the Jazz. Uh, I guess what's the biggest reason why? Oh, I think they ran into a team that was able to exploit their weaknesses in their current state at a very high level. And I, I just don't know that there was an answer. Um, and I, you know, it was disappointing. I mean, you watch the Suns and the Clippers play right now, and they're both back to playing the way that we would want to play, and we'd probably be fine. But the Clippers had just remarkable roster versatility and were able to play in a fashion that caused us in our state that we were at that point a lot of problems. And, you know, if you go back, I don't know if I it was with you guys after game two, I'd have to go back and look at the timing. But, you know, I, I kind of said after game two, at least I'm locked on jazz, but also on, on 12 eight zone on 97.5, we can't win another game that way. Like, that's not a script by which we're going to win another game. We're going to have to find a different way to win a game than we did in game two, and we just never did. Like, we just could you know, game two was a shooting outlier night. And they had started to do things to us. Some of it was the zone, but there were other aspects of what they did that night that told me that they had begun to figure us out. And they figured out how to play us without Mike Conley with a somewhat limited Donovan Mitchell, and we never figured out how to play without Mike Conley. And I know we were 16-5 and without Mike Conley in the regular season, but we weren't playing teams multiple nights in a row. And and they, they figured out a little bit. I'd say we got, you know, in, in regards to an offensive sense, I, I think if you look at the numbers, we got better and better. And maybe to some extent we did figure out how to play offensively a little bit without Mike Conley. We never figured out how to defend um, without Rudy Gobert being the centerpiece of what we were doing. And that was a season-long issue. I mean, that, if we're really honest about it and go back, it might have been the fifth game of the regular season. The Clippers exposed some of the problems with the Jazz defensively and, you know, it was kind of a season-long game of trying to see if they could come up with an answer for that and evidently never never found that answer. So, David, I know it's complicated, but uh, I know you think these things through pretty deeply. What do you do uh, in order to correct the problem or the risk of running into that again next time around? You know, I don't have a good answer yet. I think um, – you know, I think there's two different stages in this process. I think there's you got to ask all the questions. 
and you have to be honest about, and I think Dennis and Justin in the front office do a really good job of this, is you ask the questions, you do a really honest job of, of answering those questions, and then from there you try to see if there are, if there are in fact, solutions to your questions. And, and there might not be, right? So you might not be, you may decide, oh, we need these three types of players. Well, you can't go get them. Well, you better not end up in the middle of the street, right? <laughs> you want to be on one side or the other. And uh, what I mean by that is, like, we used to be a totally defensive team. We were pretty good. We were on that side of the street. And then we made a huge quantum leap and became an offensive team. We've been great at that. Like, we better be careful that we don't, like, start to make a move or an adjustment or two and end up, like, in the middle of the street. You just get squashed in the middle of the street. And so we better, you know, if we're going to do it, we have to still keep to, you know, improve certain areas. And you also better, like, usually these types of things are multiple moves. And if you you make one and then don't make two and three, then you're in the middle of the street. So you better figure, you, you can answer all the questions, but then you better have a route to a solution before and know it before you start executing. The teams that make massive mistakes are the teams that aren't, and this is not a jazz problem, are not well enough prepared to know what they're going to do by the end of the road to be able to, you know, when you make a draft pick on the, in traditionally on the 30th of June or whatever, you've got to have a pretty good idea what's about to happen in free agency. I know that's like there's tampering in that, but you need to have a pretty good idea. And if you sign the first free agent, you've got to have a pretty good idea whether you're getting the second or the third or what you're doing. You can't be doing these as isolated moves. And so, you can ask all the questions and you can say, well, we, we clearly need more people to, who can guard the ball, right? Like, we, we could not guard the ball. They spread us out. They eliminated Rudy from the defensive play, and they, we couldn't guard the ball. Okay, we need more. Well, like, if we don't get one guy who guards the ball, it does not make any difference at all. Right? They just switch and move them, and they only have one guy. Then you just have one guy who probably can't shoot and can't, does, can, can guard the ball, but he doesn't actually guard the ball most of the time. You better, like, if you're going to do that, you better make a quantum change that makes it so that you have a majority of your guys and guard the ball and you become defensive, but then are you not as good offensively? I mean, this, these are not easy answers. So you, or you better find one of those unique few players like a Nicholas Batum, frankly, like a Marcus Morris senior who are 40% three point shooters and can seem to guard the ball interchangeably at six, eight and two twenty. I mean, Marcus Morris had a fabulous series switched on to Donovan Mitchell. That is a marvelous skill for a guy who's six, eight, two twenty, And he shot 50% from three this year. David, take us through the Mike Conley situation this off season and uh, whether uh, he does or does not end up back with the team next year. Well, it's super complicated. Um, because there are about five different layers to it. The number one layer that everyone forgets when they hold these conversations is... Does he want to return? <laughs> Thank you, Jake Scott. <laughs> like, we're going to talk about this for like three, t- two months now. We, every conversation has to start with if Mike Conley wants to return. I have no reason to believe he doesn't want to, but that's his choice, and he's made 200 million dollars of NBA salary. He might be willing to bypass some at this point. Like I'm not a big believer in bypassing $17 million because it doesn't count less. If you already have two, if you have 200, it's still $17 million, but you might decide that instead of a two year, $30 million deal, you're willing to sign a two year, $17 million deal in order to win a championship. And so is there a better situation for him 
than this one. Does he end up in Philadelphia with Joel Embiid on the backside of a Ben Simmons deal? You know, after they move Ben Simmons, um, does he end up in? You know, Brooklyn, where, I, you know, I can't imagine why, but I just threw it out there. Does he end up in the Lakers to compliment Dennis Schroeder? Does he end up with the Clippers to actually give him a point guard? You know, does he end up with Denver to, to link them through Jamal Murray and let Jamal Murray play off the ball, which is probably his natural position? Like, I don't know, but if he envisions one of those places as a better place to win a championship, then that would be the first choice. Now, I think he seemed to like it here. He's positive, though. Everybody's very noncommittal on locker clear out. So then part two of the question gets to be like, what's his price tag? What's the impact of his luxury tax? And then I think part three of the question is, well, we are definitely a continuity organization. I think there seems to be a feeling, and maybe wrongfully over time, but rightfully right now, that we have to kind of change the composition of the roster. We don't have a draft pick that we can trade until after we've selected it. We don't really have free agency money because we're a tax team, so we don't have the mid-level. We have a tax mid-level. So we only have, like, our, our levers are, and this is not saying that you should do any of these things, but these are our levers. We can trade in alphabetical order. We can trade Boyan. We can trade Clarkson. We can trade, sign and trade Mike Conley. We can trade uh, Derek Favors. Alphabetically, we can trade Royce O'Neal and we can trade, did I say uh, Joe Ingles? That's alphabetically, right? Mm-hmm. So Boyan Clarkson Conley favors O'Neal and Ingles. Those are the pieces that we can move from our chessboard to somebody else's and get a different piece back. If, again, like everything has to happen in, so we need to be investigating right now. Is there a market for Joe that we're interested in? Is there a market for Royce that we're interested in? I can't imagine we trade Royce $8 million. Is there a market for Boyan? I can't really imagine we would do that at what he brings to the table and how he's changed who we are. Is there a market for Faves? Is there a market for Clarkson? Can't really imagine we do that, but you never know, right? Like so, and if we suddenly come out that we don't have any market to make any, is there a market for Ingles? If we don't have any moves there, then maybe our only piece is a Mike Conley signing trade. And now it's not a question of whether you want to trade Mike Conley. It's whether if we're going to trade, change the composition of our roster, then the only real chip we have to do it is to Mike Conley sign and trade. Now, you don't have a lot of control on that, right? Like he gets to choose the team he wants to go to, and you have to choose a player on their roster that works for you. You don't get to say, hey, Mike, we have a sign and trade for you to Dallas because we're going to get Tim Hardaway Jr. on a on it, which is complicated because you're both free agents, so it's a bad example, but just work with me. And – so you get to go to Dallas. Mike says, you know, actually, I don't want to go to Dallas, so we're not going to do that. You know, Mike says, I want to go to Lakers, and then the Lakers, you know, then the Lakers really want him. Well, then maybe you have some leverage and say, well, we want Kyle Kuzma, and you do that, and then you have a longer, different size piece there, and you let Donovan play point guard, and you decide that that's, you know, changing the composition of your team. So I have two questions about Donovan. The first one is, have you, First one is he's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have you gotten any kind of drift from him or from people around him what his state of mind is right now? And the second one is, is he a viable option at point guard? Is that something you might recommend? Um, so my only knowledge of his state of mind is he was in the Mets game last night. Um, I've not heard from Donovan. Um, nor has anyone. Um is let me ask you a different question. Okay. Are two six one guards viable? 
<laughs> we've been talking about that for a while, haven't we, Jake? We certainly have. So, and that's my, you know, so that's my Colleen Donovan. That seemed to be, yeah, it was number one seed this year. Seems to be viable, right? And I think arguably would have won the NBA title if they had both stayed healthy. I still, you know, I think we all think that. Um, so maybe that, so that seems viable. But it's a, it's a worthwhile discussion in a league that's, not getting smaller, and it's getting bigger and more skilled. People have got to understand that. The league, everyone's over the league's going small. No, it's not. It's going big and getting skilled. Point guards are now 6'5", and the Clippers put out four guys who are 6'8", 220. So maybe your seven-footers not can't stay on the floor as much if he's not skilled. It's getting skilled, and it's getting bigger um, and longer. So – the answer on Donovan is a year ago, our offense was much less good when Donovan was on the floor point card. This year it was better, um, but it wasn't great. Like it wasn't the plus 18 that we are the rest of the time. It also might have to do with a little bit of who he played with um, and and how they played and what they did. So I'm not sure that that lineup data is completely conclusive. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you, our system – needs multiple ball handlers, not a single ball handler, um, unless we're more interested in Don winning the scoring title than winning games. Um, so, like, I'm, I'm, I'm pausing here, Gordon, because, like, I think Donovan ran 33% of our pick and rolls this year, and, like, Mike ran 30, and Joe ran, like, 27%. So, like, was he our primary ball handler this year? Like, do you want him running 60% of our pick and rolls? Like, what does it mean – that he's our point guard primary ball handler, I guess is what I'm trying to figure out. Well, if he is the point guard, David, uh, could you make some sort of, like you said, a sign and trade or something to get a bigger starting point guard? I mean, uh, off guard? So let, let, would... let me take a wild card for you. What happens if Lonzo Ball is our point guard? Like, what happens if I can find a 6'6 six, six point guard and then Donovan can play 6'1 shooting guard? Didn't you have that essentially with Ricky Rubio? Yeah, but Ricky Rubio couldn't. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? He couldn't. Um, oh, shoot. <laughs> that was the word. What Lonzo you know quickest, shoot last year? You want, my, you want my bad joke that's not fair? Sure. sure. You know the quickest way to get great in the Western Conference? Wow. Trade Ricky Rubio. Yeah, it seems to have happened the last few times, right? <laughs> Worked for everybody but Minnesota. But they got him back. Um, right? I mean, the Jazz traded Mike Ricky Rubio for Mike Conley and became great. And the Phoenix made, like, literally Ricky Rubio for Chris Paul and became great. So, you know, kind of being tongue-in-cheek here. But, yes, yeah, so Ricky – I mean, we were a great defensive team when we had those two, too, right? Like, we were really good. Like, yes, it, having a six – five guard or a six six or a six eight guard wing player next to Donovan Mitchell would be fabulous. Would be great. I think frankly if you want to know why some of our numbers I'd be curious to go look at our numbers of our when we in games in which we started Donovan and Joe instead of Donovan and Mike if our defensive numbers were better. That seven inches is a lot. Like, when we were playing without both Donovan and Mike, we were huge. I I don't think that's the answer necessarily, but it shouldn't be ignored. 
So, you know, had we, you know, but, but if you go get us, like, I don't think he's a viable option anymore because he's getting a little bit like Reggie Bullock's a player I really liked. Good shooter, good defender, 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. DeLon Wright's a player I really like, 6'4", really long, good defender. Like, DeLon Wright can't shoot. Reggie Bullock can't dribble. Um, like, the Clippers switch, and he's irrelevant. Right, because he can't dribble. The Clippers would lay off and double-team off DeLon Wright, and he's irrelevant because he can't shoot. So, like, these are hard questions because you go give up Mike Conley, who can dribble, drive, and shoot just to get bigger and longer defensively and guard the ball better, and now you're really hurting yourself offensively, and now you're in the middle of the road. And, uh, David, I think everyone's just going to go throw themselves off a cliff right now because it's – Well, uh, if it was easy, everyone would win a championship. Yeah, I suppose so. And that's what we were talking about. I mean, about it's really, earlier, really David. hard. Like, I mean, look, the, I mean, the Jazz oh, end up with the best record in the league, and now we're talking about changing things up, but right. they didn't look good against the Clips. So what do you do? Well, part of my belief in this league, if I was running a franchise, I don't think I'd ever get hired, but if I was, like, do, interviewing for a GM job and I was, you know, meeting with Ryan Smith or Joe Tsai or, you know, I certainly wouldn't get hired by these two guys because or Steve Ballmer. Because they'd ask me what my goal is, and I would tell them my goal is to get to the final four of my conference. Because to some extent, from that point on, it's luck. Not always luck, but luck luck can go your way, or luck can go against you, or matchups can go your way, or matchups can't. Like, I go back to the years in which... The Rockets had Shane Battier, Tracy McGrady, and Yao Ming. The Lakers had Kobe and Pau Gasol and Andrew Bynum. We had Mehmet Okor, Carlos Boozer, and Darren Williams. And to me, like, if we could just play the Rockets in the playoffs, we'd win, right? Because Yao Ming would have to come out to guard against Boozer or Memo, and Darren kicked the crap out of Rafer Alston because they didn't have a point guard, and they had the best defensive wing in the league in Shane Batty, and they had nobody to guard because we played Ronnie Brewer. So he was he had nothing to do. The Rockets would beat the Lakers because Shane Batty would go guard Kobe. Yao Ming was big enough to handle Andrew Bynum, and the Lakers didn't have a point guard either, so the fact that Rafer Alston sucked didn't matter. Well, just to our luck, we kept getting the Lakers, and we couldn't score in the Lakers because what was our problem? We were too small. And Andrew Bynum would dwarf Mehmet Okor, and Lamar Odom would destroy Carlos Boozer, and Pau Gasol made Carlos Boozer look like he was six one, and we got just and Kobe would guard Darren. We were, we got destroyed, right? We got totally destroyed. Ron Harper, that team was massive. So, like, if we could have played the Rockets, or if we could have played someone else and had the Rockets go beat the Lakers for us, then we would have beat the Rockets, and we would have been to the finals. But instead, we kept getting in the Lakers brackets. So to some extent, to me, if I was building a franchise, my goal would be to get into the Final Four of the West and then hope you get matchups. And we got a crappy one this year because they exposed everything wrong with us. But Phoenix, who's a better team than the Clippers right now, couldn't actually expose those things. I, I think Denver might have beat us if Jamal Murray was healthy, but Denver couldn't have exposed those things. They would have, they would have exposed, it would have been a different matchup. And Denver without Jamal Murray, if we got in that matchup, we would have won. So, to some extent, I don't change an awful lot on this team because my goal would be to get back to the Final Four in the West, and I feel pretty good about that. And so, the Warriors are going to trade 7-11 and 11 to get somebody really good, and they're going to be a total pain in the butt next year. 
So to back up, uh, earlier in the conversation, you said that if Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley had been healthy, did you say you like to believe that they would win a championship, or did you say you think they would have won a championship? I'd probably say I'd like to believe, because I think the other sentence is a little disrespectful to both Phoenix and the Clippers and what they're doing. They were pretty good last night. I didn't watch last night thinking to myself, like, oh, we'd crush those teams. Yeah. Right, like Mikel Bridges hits that shot. Cameron Johnson comes off those pin downs and makes makes those plays. And DeAndre Eaton had a pretty damn good game against Rudy Gobert. I mean, he's the number one pick of the draft, and he's coming together like he's great. Like, you know, I'm watching them last night without Chris Paul, thinking, "Wow, that's that's you know, wow." Cameron Payne's their backup point guard. Like, whoa, <laughs> like, and he looked good last night. Like, and they're not like they have players on their bench. They're not playing. Um, you know, I love their roster construction of what they did. They they're not. I like our roster construction, too. I hate this era right now because you make this comment. Everyone thinks you're criticizing. We spent the most money of any team in the league on 6, 7, and 8 in the NBA. I think that's actually right. Like, it gets right down to it. Your top eight matter. That's, I actually thought this year that it might be different. I, I did a whole thing on this show probably in my podcast where I talked about it. I thought that 10, 11, that 10, 11, 12, and 13 would be more important this year than any other year. It turned out to not be true at all. Top eight matters. That's all that matters. Like, and we spent the most money on six, seven, eight of any team in the NBA. Mm. They didn't do that, so they actually have this like remarkable roster with veterans all the way through it. Frank Kaminsky didn't play last night. I don't think Langston Galloway didn't play last night. Each one more played a little because Chris Paul's hurt. Like, they have this wonderful group of players that they can kind of uh, Javon Carter didn't play last night, who they can bring in next. Cameron Payne kind of was. You know, part of that for group. It's you know, really, James Johns did a really good job of like in, instead of playing the you know, I'm going to develop a bunch of young players at the end of my roster. He's like, no, we're not. We're going to be really good, and so we'll just go take scrappy veterans, Tory Craig. And the problem with that often is that those guys don't aren't willing to buy in, and they become locker room malcontents, and they think they should play, and they don't get to play, and it doesn't work out. So to their credit, they found a way to make that work, and they got guys who are willing to do it. Well, David, as always, it's been enlightening. Thank you very much. Thank you. Talk to you soon. See you, buddy. David Locke, our good friend, uh, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. Didn't the Suns used to suck? They did. Mm-hmm. They did used to suck. They sure got good quick. Yeah, they had a good year this year. They they made some correct moves, and Chris Paul turned out to be a difference maker, certainly uh, bringing that, uh, that team together. More Big Show coming up straight ahead, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.